MSU Safe Place is a program that addresses relationship violence and stalking. It's located on the campus of Michigan State University and serves students, faculty and staff and their spouses and partners, and non-affiliated members in the greater Lansing area. MSU Safe Place provides advocacy, shelter, counseling, support groups, safety planning, information, and referrals to survivors of violence and their minor children. All support services are free and confidential. Additionally, MSU Safe Place works to increase awareness about relationship violence and stalking through community education and outreach efforts. Annually, the program shelters approximately 35 to 50 adults and children and provides counseling and advocacy services to many more students, staff, and faculty who experience relationship violence and stalking. Michigan State University's Safe Place was recently awarded additional federal funding under the Victims of Crime Act to expand its staff and services for MSU students, employees, community members, and their families. The grant is for just over $250,000 over one year and has allowed Safe Place to hire three new full-time staff, a full-time counselor, an additional advocate, and a full-time volunteer coordinator. Former MSU First Lady Joanne McPherson saw a need for this first-of-its-kind university-based domestic violence shelter and support facility in 1994. More than two decades later, Safe Place will have a greater impact on the community through this grant. Erica Schmidt-Deal is a licensed master social worker and MSU Safe Place advocacy coordinator, and she joins me to talk more about Safe Place's mission and how this grant will help with that mission. Erica, welcome back to MSU today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So elaborate a bit on the mission and talk about how the grant helps with that mission. You know, how, how will it be put to use? Sure. So we have been providing, um, as you read, stocking um, and domestic violence support on campus since 1994 with um, between three and four full-time staff over the years. Um, and so we've been happy to be able to provide that support, but there is a lot of need out there, unfortunately. On a campus of this size, um, we do see a lot of stalking and relationship violence that occurs Um so having three additional staff will definitely help us to um, increase our outreach uh, so that more individuals who work or go to school here at MSU are aware of our services. Um, that's been a barrier that we've had um, with being <laughs> a smaller staff is providing that outreach. We know that more people um, are experiencing uh, these types of victimization, but may not know where to go um, or who to reach out to for assistance. So we're so excited about our outreach efforts. And then um, we'll have the additional advocate and counselor available um, for individuals that reach out to us. Really nice to have the federal government acknowledge your work and support it too. And how would you define stalking then, Erica? Yeah, so stalking is two or more unwanted incidences that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear 
or according to the OIE um, Office of Institutional Equity Policy, um, to experience substantial um, emotional distress. Now, I think that is subjective. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage anyone who feels like they are experiencing unwanted contact uh, to reach out to us. And then we can, we can kind of talk about <laughs> the um, definition of uh, emotional distress um, because you know, that maybe it doesn't uh, rise to the level of a policy um, violation, but it's still something that shouldn't be happening. And there are options um, for the person who's on the receiving end of that unwanted contact. Um, a lot of people are surprised uh, to hear that it's two or more unwanted instances, that it's that low of a threshold. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times people are experiencing stalking for weeks, months, um, you know, ongoing unwanted behavior, but they don't know um, that it's could that it can be considered stalking. Um, they just think that their um, ex has not been able to let go, or that the person they had class with um, just won't take no for an answer, um, and they don't like the behavior, but maybe they don't understand that it's it's actually stalking behavior. And Erica, is stalking and relationship violence sort of the same thing, or, or what's the distinction? Yeah, there is um, quite a bit of overlap. So the about half um, of stalking situations stem out of a current or former intimate partner relationship. So years uh, several years ago, Safe Place expanded its mission to include stalking as um, one of the services that we provide, although that's not always the case. Um, again, about half um, of stalking situations are um, where one per where the relationship could be a friend or a former friend um, or an acquaintance. Um, stalking, uh, stranger stalking is more rare, um, but that can occur as well, where um, somebody is receiving unwanted contact um, that's anonymous. They don't even know. Um, who it is that's um, contacting them. Um, so that certainly can happen, although most often it's someone that the person knows. And Erica, are there traits that are similar in, in most people who, who perform stalking, if that's the right way to describe it? Yeah, definitely a sense of entitlement that it's okay to behave this way. Um, it is intentional. A lot of times, you know, either the person on the receiving end of the stalking, uh, the victim or survivor, um, or others, um, they want to make excuses for the behavior. They may say, oh, well, maybe um, they don't know that they're stalking you, um, or they're just socially awkward. Um, and I, I think that perhaps could be the case in a for a small percentage of people, but I think the vast majority of people who engage in stalking behavior know what they're doing. Um, they are wanting to pursue a relationship out, you know, um, despite the other person not wanting that relationship. Um, may, they, you know, again, feel entitled. They feel a sense of power and control um, that they enjoy um, placing the other person um, in fear. Um, so that is often something that we're talking uh, to people about when they come to our program that, um, you know, you may care about this person, you may have been a friend, friend to them or have been in a relationship with them, and, and that's understandable. Um, but at the same time, they likely know what they're doing. They're doing this intentionally. Um, and there, there are steps that you can take if they 
um, are held responsible by the university or there's consequences for them through the criminal justice system that is of their own making. Um, those are choices that they have made to engage in this behavior. Um, and so any you know, criminal charges are, are really on them. Um, and of course, we're not here to tell people what to do um, who come to us or make decisions for them. We're not, um, you know, insisting that they must make a police report, um, but we're presenting that as an option either now or down the road uh, should they choose to do that. And same with university reporting. So what steps can a person take if they feel they are being stalked? Yeah. So we always recommend that people document the stalking. Um, so whether they're ready to um, make a report here at the university through the Title IX office, Office of Institutional Equity, whether they um, also, in addition to that, they can make a report with law enforcement. Um, they can do either or or, or both, um, but have that documentation. So whether they're ready now to do that or want to do it down the road, they have that information and they're not trying to think back, well, I think it was a Tuesday in December that they were outside of my apartment building. Um, they actually have it written down, um, you know, when it happened, uh, you know, what time, the location, um, how how it made them feel, um, you know, all of that information can be very helpful to build a case. Um, so that would be at minimum. Um, and then we, you know, every um, situation is different. So we don't have a cookie cutter approach, um, but we can talk through the situation with people. Um, if they're being stalked um, via technology, um, have they checked their social media for their privacy settings. Um, you know, we know that social media is a um, part of most people's lives. And so we're not necessarily telling people, well, don't use social media, you know, just delete all your accounts. Um, that may not be practical for them. Um, but how can you use social media or use technology more safely? Have they changed passwords um, on their accounts? Um, so again, it all depends on the individual situation, um, but we will talk through that with people and try to come up with solutions. And then what about friends and family, Erica? What can they do to support someone who's being stalked? Yeah, so we always want friends and family to believe uh, the person who comes to them and either tells them that they're being stalked or maybe they're not using those words quite yet, but they're describing a situation that sounds like stalking. Um, don't minimize it if they're expressing fear for their safety. Um, you know, it may not sound like a big deal um, if you hear somebody saying, you know, this person is always liking my content on social media and I've seen them where I'm at a few times and it's creeping me out. Um, you know, don't brush it off as a coincidence. Um, listen to what the person is telling you. And if they're concerned about this behavior, mirror that concern. Um, refer them to safe place. And no, they may not contact us right away. Often, you know, people maybe don't pick up the phone or send us an email immediately upon um, being referred to us, but plant that seed, um, you know, just reassuring them that they're, you know, if they're ready, when they're ready, um, there are confidential resources um, that can talk through options with them. Um, and then if somebody's in immediate fear for their safety, you know, of course, calling 911. So Erica, again, let's circle back to the grant and, and, be a little bit more specific about how it will help and, and maybe some of the limitations you had experienced before the grant. 
Yeah, so prior to the grant, um, we were serving all of the MSU-affiliated individuals that had contacted us for services, but we were not able to do that outreach. So we were not able to do additional marketing of our services to let people know um, that we are a resource here on campus. So our volunteer coordinator is currently um, in contact with all of the registered student organizations um, to provide that information, um, also to try to recruit volunteers um, we'll, that will help us expand the services we're able to offer. And then we know that, you know, once individuals are trained in the dynamics of relationship violence and stalking, then they become a resource for their family and friends. Um, so we see a ripple effect um, being able to happen with more individuals on our campus being educated about these um, issues and more people then being able to come forward and receive the help that they may need. And then I'll also add that we have a, not only do we provide confidential services and that we don't share information uh, with anyone else on campus or out in the community once people come to us, um, but we have a confidential location as well for safety purposes. So people can feel safe um, here in our location, whether they're staying in our shelter or coming for counseling or advocacy appointments, that the, the individual who is stalking them or the person who's been abusive to them will not be showing up here um, during their appointment or during their stay. So Erica, just some, some closing thoughts before I tell people on how to get in touch with you. Just summarize what you'd like us to know about Safe Place and how the grant will help. So yeah, in summary, I would just like to um, say that we are the Relationship Violence and Stalking Program here on campus, and we're here to support people at whatever level they need, um, whether it's having one advocacy appointment to get some basic information about what their options are, um, or ongoing advocacy as they are going through the OIE process or the criminal justice system. We are here for, you know, again, at whatever level people need um, for shelter is available, but that's not the only service we provide. Uh, we also provide the counseling um, if people need that. So in conclusion, I would just like to say that um, I do think we have a fantastic program here to support individuals um, who may need us. I have been here for 20 years um, and I wouldn't still be here at Safe Place if I didn't believe in the work that we do. Um, so I, I definitely encourage um, individuals to reach out to us and then um, to spread the word about the services that we provide. And we are the only um, domestic violence shelter on a college campus in the nation that can shelter both um, individuals and families. Um, there are a number of other colleges and universities that have responded to relationship violence by offering a dorm room um, for people that may need that. And that's wonderful. Um, however, that doesn't always work for the non-traditional students with children, um, graduate students, or staff or faculty um, that may need shelter. Um, so I am so proud to work at a unique program and to be able to offer the services that we have. Well, Erica, thank you so much for doing this important work and for updating us today about it. Thank you so much. Erica Schmidt-Deal is a licensed master social worker and MSU Safe Place Advocacy Coordinator. For information about MSU Safe Place, visit safeplace.msu.edu. If you or anyone you know needs support, you can contact Safe Place confidentially at noabuse.msu.edu or call 517 
355-1100. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.